But uh, you probably know the damning statistics of Australia's uh, terrible record with um, internet piracy. Senator George Brandis, the Attorney General, has said recently to the Senate, Australia, I'm sorry to say, is the worst offender of any country in the world when it comes to piracy. And he didn't mean on boats. He meant on downloading things like Game of Thrones. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about why some laws we just follow and why some laws are more difficult to. And I think there's three variables that I'm going to ask an expert in a minute, but I want to put, I think it's about the likelihood of getting caught, right? If you think the likelihood of getting caught is lower, you're more likely to break a law. I reckon it's about the severity of the punishment. So if the punishment is low, you're more likely to break a law. And also the tricky one, how wrong you think the act is. So maybe with internet piracy, people at some level just don't think it's that wrong. It doesn't feel wrong just to click a couple of buttons. It doesn't feel as wrong as going into a shop and slipping a can of baked beans uh, into your shirt or handbag or whatever. So the likelihood of getting caught, the severity of the punishment and how wrong you think the act is, that's just my thoughts. So, But uh, Dr. Rebecca Wicks joins us. She is a senior lecturer in criminology at the University of Queensland. Hello, Rebecca. Hi there. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, so do you reckon I'm right? Or, oh, I think, I think you're certainly onto something. Absolutely. Maybe you might like to have my job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it comes down to a lot of, a lot of different factors. I mean, uh, you know, one thing that, that we know as criminologists is that, you know, most of us at some time or another will break a law. Now, whether that might be something, you know, like speeding or perhaps something more severe. Yeah. Uh, and, and the question always is, well, well, what is it that, that makes some people more likely to do that than others, and, and what are those motivating factors? And I guess that's where probably criminologists branch out into a range of different theoretical understandings. So mm. there's lots of ways to think about it, I guess. So then what do you think the main fa- – I mean, from being au fait with all of that, what do you think the main factors are that determine whether, you know, someone who might speed on the roads and download Game of Thrones wouldn't actually go and kill someone? Well, I think, I think that's exactly right. And, um, you know, I, I, and, and I think we all have rules that we'll follow and rules that we're a little bit more lenient with, yeah. depending on, on what we think of them. So I think, I think you're absolutely right in saying that there's just some things we don't think are, are that important. And I, I know a lot of young people just really don't think about Internet piracy, you know, downloading music, downloading DVDs, you know, that it's a big deal. Uh, and, and so they and kind yet, of diminish the, the severity of that. And yet it doesn't take much thinking to realise that just as if you steal a can of baked beans, mm. you're, you're, you're taking money from A, the supermarket, mm. and B, I suppose, eventually the baked bean producer. If you download Game of Thrones, you're taking money from A, the network, but also ultimately from the program maker, aren't you? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. But it's one of but those it doesn't feel more victimless bad. crimes, I guess, for people. You know, they're... There are some crimes against, uh, you, know, you know, for example, welfare fraud, often considered a victimless fraud, where, or sorry, a victimless crime, where we can't really see the victim, we can't feel the victim, um, and then we sort of diminish, I guess, the injury to that victim. And there's, you know, there's a lot of theory around why that might be. So, I mean, I think that's also part of the, the issue here is that, you know, who is this really hurting? And mm. then when you think about who that is, you're thinking about large corporations and conglomerates and movie stars who earn gazillions of dollars. And, 
and I guess it might be easier for uh, you know for certain people to say, well, you know what, that's actually that's really not a crime. That's I'm not really hurting anybody by yeah. doing this. Yeah. And and I do think that there is the ease at which this can happen with the internet. I mean, it's yes. quite. If I wanted to go and download something right now, I I could do that. It would be relatively straightforward for me to do that. There's you know tips on how to do that on the internet. So it's fairly. It's fairly easy to be able to do that. And, and I guess that's the same, the same with speeding too, isn't it? All you have to do is depress your f- right foot a, a few millimetres more and you go from being legal to driving illegally. Exactly. And, and I think when you're on a road by yourself and there's no one else there and you think, well, why, why would I go 60 kilometres an hour? I'm not mm. going to hurt anybody. There's not, there will be no consequence to this. And so when you were talking earlier about severity, that's probably also a factor in our mind that, you know, well, is this really, really going to get me into any kind of trouble? Probably not. Uh, and, you know, we're rational calculators um, as human beings. We, we weigh up the pros and cons of our actions. And yeah. um, if we think something is going to, to land us in the poo, we might take a moment and think about why we're doing that. You know, for others, yeah. perhaps they have lower self-control and, and they might be a little bit more impulsive and not, and not reflect. But I, I wonder if you, reflect. if you take something that's more direct. So we've all been angry at someone mm-hmm. and, and very few of us have punched someone that we're angry with, probably, uh, if you t- particularly if you take alcohol mm. away from it. Say at work, you've been angry at someone and you haven't punched them. Right. So that's partially because you fear the consequences. But I think it feels like there's some, it's more than that, that you intrinsically think that even if it would be satisfying, th- th- there's some, even, even if it would be satisfying, even if there could be some consequences from the law and from your employer, the reason you don't punch your boss is because there's some, something within most of us that thinks, no, that is wrong. Yeah, that's right. That that's not worth doing. That, yeah. That's, that's not going to bring me any reward, and I've got to control how I'm feeling. I've got to control my emotion in this instance. And that's, I mean, that's exactly right. There are certainly a lot of scholars in criminology who believe that low self-control is the primary reason for most offending from trivial to more serious. Yes, right. So it's, a, it's that higher brain that can, that can weigh that up. That ability to say no, not yeah, now. Yeah, they yeah. can weigh up the momentary satisfaction they might get from letting their anger out versus the longer term consequences. Exactly. And I, you know, and depending on those circumstances, I mean, you meant, you mentioned something earlier, which I thought was really interesting. And you did, you sounded just like a criminologist when you were talking about it, that, you know, not even, not even the most hardcore of criminals break the law all the time, you know, that, Mm. that we drift in and out of what we think is acceptable practice. And that's highly contextually dependent. So it, it is, it's how we view the situation. And I was um, saying to uh, your producer a couple of days ago that I'll, I'll never forget a conversation I had with a colleague where she was interviewing quite a hardened female offender who was uh, known for stealing cars and she was pregnant while she was incarcerated and my colleague asked her well you know what are you going to do about stealing cars you know when when you have the baby thinking that perhaps this would make her desist from stealing cars in the future and the comment was well I'll only get the cars with baby seats and when you oh, know, I, and, and you kind of think yeah. you know you you do you do want to laugh a little bit when you hear these yeah. that's outrageous. But then you think, okay, well, she's really internalized the safety of her baby. That is a priority for I her. I get you, yeah. And it may not deter her from stealing cars, but it may encourage her to think about what cars are to steal. And so it just shows you the complexities of our decision making processes. That things aren't always as straightforward as what we might yes. like them to be. We're talking to D- Dr. Rebecca. Uh, Wicks, who's a senior lecturer in criminology about the University of Queensland. So returning to internet piracy for a moment, it appears that 
the lawmakers have kind of given up really mm. on on uh, on increasing compliance by individuals and are now trying to well one of the um, suggestions is that they target internet service pro- providers to block illegal download methods and send warning letters to offenders um, which may or might work but it does seem doesn't it they've just said about the individuals it's too hard can mm. you think of any way they could? Uh, they could put in place a law that would effectively reduce internet pri- um, piracy by individuals without going to the ISPs? You know, I, r- I really can't, to be honest. Yeah. I, I, I do have to wonder, is, is this beyond us in, in terms of controlling it? Can, can we actually police these kinds of activities in a way um, that we're not, you know, filling up the criminal justice system with unnecessary burden, um, you know, with, with more offenders that we're trying to put through? Is it something that we can actually do realistically in any way, shape, or form? And, you know, I'm not an expert on internet piracy, but mm. but I guess, you know, coming from a criminological perspective, I would have to question whether or not we would have the resources and the where for all to do that in a systematic way that I think brings up some of the principles you were saying about, you know, earlier that we could approach it with a severe enough um, you know, penalty for what they've done to do it in a timely fashion so that they understand this is something that's going to come down if they are downloading and so forth. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm just not sure that that is going to be an effective way moving forward, trying to target yeah. the individual through penalty. And I do, I think we have to think about how, how is it that we can help young people to understand that, that this is actually a behavior that perhaps may be harmful in some way to some corporation and put a face on it so that they understand mm. um, the decisions. That it, is, it is fascinating, though. I mean, at, at how many people who would not even dream of going anywhere near uh, shoplifting, for mm. example, exactly. even if they were pretty sure they'd get away with it, yep. will download illegally. Yeah, and it, and it really is a conundrum. And I, I know there was a study in the U.S. that was looking at um, the downloading illegal downloading behaviour of college students who apparently are, you know, quite a, a large group of... Um, of offenders, <laughs> university students <laughs> illegally downloading because they have quite a lot of access to the internet, understand the use of computers, use yeah. them daily, et cetera. Uh, yeah, and I would argue that this group would, you know, by and large be highly unlikely to, to go and, and perhaps commit a, a very mm. brazen act of, um, of theft in some other dimension. Not to say that they wouldn't. Some would, of course, but you know, by and large, they would be less likely to do that. Yeah. And some of the prevention ads that are out there about Internet piracy target exactly that. They say, you know, you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't shoplift. Why would you download? Yeah. Uh, just finally, Rebecca, someone's texted in. It says, it's wrong to assume that every person who illegally downloads would otherwise buy the product. Has it really cost the producer if the person who illegally downloads would otherwise not view it at all? Well, I mean, that's a that's a moral question, isn't it, M- rather than a legal question? And, I mean, the yes. legal question says, well, if you're illegally downloading, you're violating the law. And whether or not you eventually, as one individual, cost that corporation because you've watched, say, as you've said earlier, Game of Thrones, which I'm sure is a, a massive download at the moment, um, it, <laughs> You know, that, that's a moral question. It's not a legal question in that regard. And I would say, well, if you are illegally downloading, you're violating the law. And uh, even if you are eventually going to buy the product, that doesn't really allow you to get out of jail free for... Yeah, it certainly wouldn't place. be a defense, would it? It's not a defense, <laughs> no. And I don't think it's a defense that would hold. But, you know, lucky for that person, it's probably unlikely that they're going to get caught.
Yeah, great. Look, thank you very much for um, – well, I don't mean great that they're unlikely to get caught. No, I, I know mean, what you mean. I, I just mean what you said was great, and thank you very much for joining oh, us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, great pleasure. Dr. Rebecca Wicks, Senior Lecturer in Criminology at the University of Queensland. Now, I have a, uh, a room – I was going to say something fancy like a home office, but it's basically just a room that the kids haven't taken over yet because um, a couple of them share a room. So it's on limited tenure. But I work in there and I get lonely in there when everyone's out of the house. And so I have this playlist. It's called Work Music Playlist. And I put all the stuff in there that I think I can work to. And it keeps me company when I work at home. And I think it helps. But here's the thing. I wondered if... Really, because I'm doing two things at once, I'm working, typing away at something, A, and B, listening to music, whether that means that my brain's attention is divided between the work I'm doing and the music I'm listening to, and it's maybe only operating at 80% capacity or something. It would be less efficient than if I was working in silence. Yes, it's pleasant, but maybe I get more done if I turn the dang thing off. So I thought I would ask Professor Rick Vanderswan, neuroscientist, regular uh, uh, visitor to the program from Southern Cross University, what he reckons. G'day, Rick. Hey, James. How are you going? Yeah, good, thank you. Now, time to declare our interests. When you work on something, typing up a, uh, writing a new paper or something, do you have do you have a bit of mellow music on in the background? <laughs> a bit of background music? Mm. Actually, I don't. I don't. I used to, uh, when I was at uni and studying, I used to use music a lot, but yeah. uh, as I've got older, uh, I find that I'm more cranky and more easily distracted. And so uh, I'd like the door shut and I actually, uh, I don't really have a, a lot going on around me. Okay. So, and is that because as a neuroscientist, you know that you will be more efficient if you don't have it on? Uh, yeah, look, I, I find it, uh, I just find it distracting. And to be honest, I don't listen to a whole lot of music uh, just by taste a whole lot of music uh, that's instrumental. Uh, and, and the reason that I like songs, uh, I like music uh, myself, is that I like the lyrics. And so when I put something on that I would really like to listen to, I end up listening to it. And, of course, that takes me away from work. So, Yes. By the way, someone has just texted in asking me if one of the qu- songs I listen to when I'm working is one of them, the Cicada That Ate Five Doc, which will probably mean nothing to you, but is a, a, a long-running running gag on this program that's been going over a year now. Um, so it's not, but I'll add it, obviously. So so you, you've based your decisions on sort of, you know, intuition and what works for you, but... But what's the truth? Do we know the truth? Yeah, look, it, and, and it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting, uh, James, because yeah. uh, there, there's now um, a really large body of research that shows that music uh, does change brain state. Uh, and one of the significant effects that it has is to increase what we call positive affect, your, your state positive affect. So it makes you feel better. It makes you feel more positive. And that's achieved because things like serotonin and dopamine and even oxytocin are upregulated. Uh, and when you feel better, then things like concentration improve uh, and engagement uh, improves. Uh, and that's why you get your work done. Now, interestingly, at the same time, uh, the periods for which you concentrate tend to be shorter when you're playing music, but because oh. but because they're more productive, you end up getting more done. So when you listen to music, you're actually even though your brain's doing two things because of that because it's stimulating the production of those chemicals, you get more done. Is is there a corresponding effect? Oh, sorry, not a corresponding, the opposite of co- yeah, a corresponding effect where even though the chemicals are being 
stimulated and you can therefore get more done. But also part of your brain's energy is directed into listening to and interpreting the music and that sucks a bit of the productive workflow away or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly right. And, and it's, so it's a trade-off. And, uh, and of course, that, mm. all this is predicated on the, uh, on the observation that you're listening to something you enjoy. If you're yeah. listening to something that you don't enjoy, right. then you see kind of uh, a, 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 a type of stress response and when you get stressed, of course, concentration decreases and, and your ability to focus decreases and, and you become less productive. So assuming that you're um, listening to something you, you, you like, uh, you will be committing some resources to that. But the trade-off, the benefit in, uh, in, in your uh, positive affect uh, compensates for that so that over the course of an hour, you might have uh, a few more interruptions where you actually attend to the music but in the times where you're not attending to it, your, your uh, productivity will increase. So when you say your attention span is shorter when you're listening to music, that to me is odd in the sense that I, I would have thought it would have been longer because you feel, you know, sort of less lonely when you've got the music on and less like I want to get out of this room and go and do something else. Well, when you do something like you're doing, you know, where, where you're in your, in your workspace yeah. and you've got the music on, of course, if you do that frequently, what you're doing is really pairing the, the, those really positive feelings that the music elicits in you to that space. Uh, and, and so you kind of get this Pavlovian or, or oh, right. you know, you get this conditioning response uh, to being in that room. Uh, and then you get the, the effect of the music on top of that, so you get this reinforcement thing going on. But, of course, you know, when you're listening to music, and, and, and we all have this when we listen to music, we have, uh, even in, 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 when you're listening to a piece, there'll be bits that you really, really like. Yeah. And as they come up, oh. you'll, you'll attend to that because that's the bit, you know, it's kind of the bit that really moves you in the music. So, uh, but, uh, oh, so I see, yes. You, you break your attention just for a little bit to concentrate on the music, but you quickly go back to the thing that you were doing and suddenly, you know, uh, an hour's passed. You may not have noticed that you've, you know, you've kind of jumped from the task of writing to the task of listening, listening. to the music and yeah. back again. But you will have made those jumps a few times. But at the end of the hour, suddenly, uh, you know, you've got a few pages of uh, stuff written. Is there any data on whether, oh, sorry, the Pavlovian question, does that, if, if there is a Pavlovian response, does that suggest that to make us more productive, we should listen to a selection of the same music again and again, because you think Mozart means work? Uh, well, yeah, look, that's a great question. And no one's actually looked at whether or not you can get uh, uh, the response. So what everyone does is say, okay, well, what, what sort of music do you like listening to? And let people listen to that. And the really interesting thing is that, uh, uh, th th these effects have been found over a whole range of music. So, very, t you know, typically the original experiments were all done on kind of classical and instrumental music. But increasingly, there's some data to suggest that if people really like rock and roll, that's the music for them to listen to. Mm. Uh, and, and, and so, the question about whether or not, uh, you know, you need exactly the same stimulus every time for that kind of conditioning effect to arise, or just some sort of positive music, you know, positive. Uh, music being played, it, whether it's the positivity that conditions to the space, that's unknown. And is this known, whether music with lyrics, with singing, is, is uh, the, well, you don't have high, as high a productivity as if you're listening to instrumentals? Yeah, look, uh, and, and again, that's, uh, that, that's something that people haven't had a very, very good look at. You know, and, and just anecdotally, you know, as I said, I quite like listening to the lyrics of a song. 
so I don't I don't concentrate at all. Well, if, I, if I've got music on that, I really you know mm. I really enjoy. Uh, but almost you know I, I'd say seventy to eighty percent of the work done so far has been done on uh, just instrumental music, because of course lyrics have uh, lyrics have uh, a second add dimensions to the whole problem. So you can have a good tune and good lyrics, or a good tune and bad lyrics, and so on. So you've got to do all those combinations, which makes it really, really difficult to do a very careful experiment. And while we're yes. still trying to iron out, you know, what the fundamental effects are, everyone's been trying to keep it as as simple as they can and, and just have a, a, a melody, I guess. Well, James, is the text. I've actually been listening to you while trying to do my homework, and I've got to admit it's not really successful. <laughs> <laughs> Better try music instead. That uh, That's very true. I mean, I've listened, tried to listen to... Uh, talk radio when I've tried to do something else, and yes, that makes it does. does I totally understand. It's okay. Um, someone texted in: Is it accurate that when we have control over the music we're listening to, it is less distracting? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, whenever you can control your environment, then it means that you don't have to keep monitoring it to mm. to, to to be alert. You know, if you feel like okay, I can put on whatever I want. Uh, I can change it if I want. Then you can you can relax about the, that aspect of it, and that's one less you know resource that that you have to kind of uh, devote to monitoring your environment. So all this is about uh, you know you've got an environment which you affect with music, and then it's your perception of that music that changes your physiological state. It upregulates a whole lot of you know uh, uh, neurotransmitters that make you feel positive, uh, and hormones and other things. Uh, and then because you feel positive. Uh, you, you know, you make sure that the environment, for as long as you can, stays in a, in that sort of positive state, and you get this reinforcing cycle going on. So I'm just trying to imagine whether there's any time then where you shouldn't listen to music if if, if it's basically just a feel good thing and 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 stimulates your brain. Um, even you know, sort of in bed at night for 20 minutes before you go to sleep, it's not like it's going to stimulate you like a cup of coffee or something. Are there are there any times when you know, it's just not a good idea unless if you want to feel gloomy or sad. <laughs> well, you know, look, trying to get out of a plane if there's something wrong with it, you know, and you're listening right. to instructions yes. or something like Emergencies. that. Emergencies. <laughs> but no, look, it, it, people have been using music to affect their mood uh, in all sorts of ways yeah. uh, for a very, very long time. So, you know, people use it to, to, to get pumped up. You know, you, you very often yeah. see athletes listening to music before they, they compete. Uh, and that's having a completely different effect to the sort of uh, to, to the use of it as a relaxation device. And in fact, you know, we've talked about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems before. You know, so when you're confronted with a threat, your sympathetic nervous system kicks into action, and you get adrenaline into your system and blood into your muscles and away from your tummy and so on. The parasympathetic nervous system uh, reverses all those effects, so it calms you down. And so some music will activate your parasympathetic nervous system. So if, you do, if you're feeling a bit uptight or you've been working until late and you're trying to switch off before you, uh, before you, you, you shut your eyes and try and go to sleep, then you, if you can find some music that's calming and soothing, then that's working through that parasympathetic nervous system. It's deactivating you, de-alerting you, if you like, uh, and, and making you relax. But then other so, music yeah. you know, up, uh, kicks you up. Many people I know say they go to bed with Tony Delroy, by which they mean that they listen to Tony Delroy, who's on from uh, 10 p.m. to 2 p.m. on, on uh, ABC Local Radio, Monday to Friday nationally. They say, I love, I love to go to bed with, with, with Tony and listen to him before I go to sleep. Now, from what you've said, you know, it wouldn't be an ideal thing to listen to because it's words and stimulation, and yet 
many, many, many people do. Well, uh, yeah, and one, don't forget that uh, there's two ways of listening. You can listen to the, the content of someone talking or you can just listen to the sound of it. And you, one of the things that uh, I, I guess distinguishes a lot of people is that they have a melodious... Well, Tony has a beautiful voice. Yeah, exactly. And though that the tone and the cadence can all have an effect on your phys- physiological response as well. So independent of anything being said, uh, if, you, if, you're not, if you're not really attending to the words, but you're just listening to the sounds then that's a type of music, you know. Yeah. And there's that very funny scene in, um, I think, Three Men and a Baby, uh, where uh, the guy's reading to the baby, um, I think, the racing guide, uh, and he makes the point that it's not what you say, it's the way that you say it. And so that's why it, oh, you know, right. babies don't really understand words, yeah. but they understand tone. tone. It's the same with pets, right? You know, if you use a harsh tone, they'll, they'll cower, but if you use a soothing tone, they'll... Uh, they'll be much more approachable. Same with bubbers. And we have, you know, even as adults, we have the same thing. So when you're listening to Tony with his beautiful, you know... Mellifluous. Yeah, mellifluous voice. That's a very, very soothing thing, and it helps people to relax. And presumably he's not describing, you know, anything uh, too stressful at that point. Yeah, well, he covers a wide gamut of uh, topics. Pat from Canberra says, Hi, James, is this a roundabout way of saying you have a procrastination problem with whatever you're working on? Doesn't everyone have a procrastination? Like, if you're trying to write anything longer than a page, isn't it just normal to have a procrastination problem? Doesn't everyone have that? Does it, Jen, do you have that? Yeah, Jen has that. Rick, do you have that? Yeah, absolutely. It's always easier to change a page with words on it than to fill it, you know? Oh, yeah. Look, hands up. If anyone doesn't have a procrastination problem, we really want to talk to you because <laughs> you could just make... Uh, you could sell your secrets for zillions. one three hundred eight hundred triple two. if you don't have a procrastination problem. Uh, Rick, thank you very much. That was lovely. Yeah, thanks, James. Take Good care. to talk to you. Professor Rick Vanderswan, neuroscientist at Southern Cross University.